0: Welcome to Wilson in Maine, The View from Wingate, a podcast bringing the expertise of Wingate University to the wider world. I'm Jeff Frederick. Generation Z is here, is making its collective presence known, and like millennials, Gen X, and boomers before, is remaking society inexorably in a vision of its own image. They are curious and pragmatic, motivated and yet socially awkward, and are more diverse and are proud of it. They also have a sense of wariness about finance and debt. Think Great Recession as a formative memory in their childhood, as well as having a keen interest in what's happening with the environment that they have inherited. They don't mind asking for help such as tutoring or mental health services, but they prefer that that help comes on their own terms, sometimes on demand or via their phone. They're practical in that they view college as a portal through which to find a great job or a career, but they have other goals. Statistically, Generation Z has had more opportunities to take college courses before leaving high school than any other group of Americans. They love project or problem-based learning, and that's often the environment where group work is most appealing to them. They were born swimming in a sea of technology. They find information easily. They consume it with gusto and assurance and are apt to make some decisions based on their own learning rather than on relying on friends and family as the only trusted sources. Many have had less experiences than previous generations in discrete and definable adolescent rituals. They've dated less, they've worked less part-time jobs. Even so, some of this, like every generation, is born of a reality that they came of age in a time of transition featuring people in power who think differently than they do. What are we to make of these kids? Well, to quote Pete Townsend, who wrote a song recorded by his band, The Who, the original of which any Gen Z could find on their phone in a heartbeat, but probably hasn't, the kids are all right. Joining me to talk about Generation Z are three experts who work with them every day, Jessica Head, Marcus Kirkland, and Mick Reynolds. Welcome everybody. So each of you have worked with college-age people and college students for some time in lots of different capacities. What are maybe three characteristics that seem to describe the students that you work with now?
1: Mick, get us started. Sure, you know, I think that there's, uh, you know, you touched on in your introduction the mental health issues. I mean, I think the anxiety with this generation uh, is something that I haven't seen as much in, in previous generations. Um, I think that they there's a but there's also a collectivism with with them. I think that they um, they want to work together groups, they want to, you know, be part of something bigger than themselves, which I think in our work in colleges is is a nice thing to be able to uh, to see. And then the third thing that I would say is that, uh, you know, I do think that there's a healthy skepticism <laughs> that they have kind of as a generation. I think they're more likely uh, to, to question things. I think sometimes, uh, in, in our work that can be difficult because you want to say, well, this is, this is how this is. But, uh, I think that that generally, I think it's more of a healthy skepticism than it is an anti-authority kind of thing. I think they're questioning everything. Um, and they're making a lot of decisions, higher, higher level decisions than, uh, I think we give them credit for.
0: Jessica, you were a hundred hats in making sure that all of the students that that live on campus at Wingate have the experience that they're looking for. What do you see?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would echo a lot of what Mick said. I would add to that, that they're pretty savvy. Um, They're resourceful and they can figure out the answer. Um, They're quick to ask um, and maybe Maybe not always ask in the right way either. I think that um, you expect to receive things like in a professional manner, and you're receiving emails that are like text messages. Um, but I think it's about meeting them where they're at, too. And so, um, but they're wanting to figure it out because they're trying to problem solve um, just in, I think, different ways than maybe we, we have been used to in the past. Um, and so, but they they want to figure it out because they want to be successful and they, I think they've got a lot of the anxi- these anxieties and these pressures. And so they want to make sure that they are fulfilling what their expectations are um, and trying to do that in whatever form they feel like they can.
0: Marcus, you get to know these students and student athletes in ways different than many of the rest of us. You spend hours on a bus with them, let alone recruiting them out of their living rooms. What do you see when you think about today's kids?
3: Yeah, actually. I mean, from standpoint of spending time, I spend more time with my guys than I do with my, with my own family um, on a yearly basis. And so I, I echo exactly what everyone else said so far. Their skepticism probably is more than any other generation that I've seen um, come through our program. They want to know the whys and the, why are you making me do this and why do we have to do it this way, why can't we do it that way? Um, But their problem solving skills are a lot different. Um, The other thing I would say is they they have an innate ability to go out and find information on their own. Um, A lot of times they know the answer to the question before they ask it. And so they want to see what you're going to say. Uh, and so you have to, it keeps you on your toes cause you, you don't, you know, if you say the wrong thing, uh, nah, coach, I, that's not, that's not what I saw all over here. coach. They, <laughs> so, they me, so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they kind of know the answer before they're asking you. And it's almost like anytime you're having a conversation with one of them, it's a, it's a test for something. So, uh, they keep, keep you on your toes for sure.
0: So we've all had to migrate, you know, in our professional and personal lives as technology has changed, but the group of students that are on college campuses today they're really digital natives they they were born with it almost seemingly in their in their cribs um what has what the role of technology been like for them and how do they use it differently than we do
2: I don't know. I mean, I'm on the the younger end of the crew here, and so I mean, I very vividly mm, remember nice getting. That hurt a little bit. No, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I very vividly remember getting our first computer, and I mean, we had dial-up and stuff. But I mean, I very much grew up with technology. Also, I was probably on the the tail end of it being as more accessible than not, and so um, I'm super conscious of even the amount of time my son is on on it. And that's a lot of times because of how I see it. And so I think the technology thing is interesting because... The internet goes out on campus and it's like chaos. Like, what are we going to do? I mean, it's <laughs> even to the sense that like, you know, we don't need cable anymore because they're not using that. And they're using all the streaming or they're more interested in gaming or watching YouTube videos. That's the one thing I really don't understand. Like the watching YouTube videos all night. Yeah. I don't really get it, but I that's just what happens. And so they're looking to take their information in different ways. And so, look, I am not on TikTok because I also know I will be addicted and spend too much time on it, right? (laughs) And I know that there are a lot of really positive things that come out of there, right? They're teaching people how to cook and all those things. So they're learning through technology in a way different way, right? I remember people coming to our house and selling encyclopedias they don't need that anymore. They've got the internet, they're watching videos and that's teaching them them those different things. And so I think it is like a vital part of them in a good and such a bad way too. Because I think when I was growing up, peer pressure looked like, are you wearing an Abercrombie t-shirt or not? Right? Like that was like the big thing in middle school. Like, oh, I need to have this clothing. Now the peer pressure is, is that like, I want to be TikTok famous yeah, how or followers I, do I have? yeah, or all of those different things. And they're creating a lot of this like undue pressure on people that they legitimately don't know, but they look at them like they do know them because they feel so connected because they're literally watching them every day. People are posting videos of them just like walking around their house, chit chatting. So you feel like you are getting to know them when in reality that real relationship isn't there. And so I think it makes some effects on our students on how they build and expect relationships of others also, and how they deal with kind of their, their own self-worth and their relationship building and all of those things. And so it's such an interesting dynamic when the technology plays in, because there's so many positive things. But I think when you start talking about like intrinsically, like who you are, think that's sometimes how it hurts them
1: yeah i think information and connection are the two are really the two places that shows up although and i would say although students would we consider them digital natives that doesn't necessarily mean they're they're digitally literate like (laughs) like there's some things that you're like hey you know you can do this on your phone and they are like i just want to go into your office and tell you what i want and have you do it so there's not i think there's a, a little bit of that but i i say this like i use the cafeteria test um for for, for what Jessica's talking about, ten, fifteen years ago, when you'd walk into it, in, into the dining hall, you'd see people sitting together in groups, and and you might even wonder, you know, from a, a, a you know, at the beginning of a semester, especially with our first-year students, if you saw someone sitting alone, you'd you'd want to go and say, "Hey, how is that student?" You know, chicken on them. Now everybody's on their phones, and so they'll still they may still be sitting there collectively as a group, but they're all on their phones and they're sharing videos with each other and they're looking at different things, and and it's just a much different dynamic. And to Jessica's point, I think you you see there's a little bit of like faux relationships. Because, um, like I said, I think that they, as a as a group, they they kind of want to be part, or, part of, a, of a of a greater whole. And so, the nice thing about that these you know these digital communities is that they can find people, right? That they that they are uh, ha- can have that connection with or have similarities with. Um, but then that also. I think sometimes causes them to retreat from the people that are kind of right in front of them (laughs) and and looking and and maybe looking for people who are are maybe different than them or have different experiences. And it's I think it's harder for them to engage sometimes in in some of those conversations because it's easier to retreat to some of these other areas. So
3: I think the the biggest thing for me is the way they monetize all this stuff. Um, You know, it's especially in my world with NIL, uh, name, image and likeness and all that. Um, you know, 10 years ago, we told, I, you know, tell my son, stop playing video games. Where is that going to get you? Stop being on your phone 24-7. But they can make money doing this now and make good money. You know, we had a young man a few years ago forego his senior year uh, to go be a TikTok star, Instagram star. And he's done that, you know, with 10, 11 million followers. And he's been able to monetize it and make an amazing living off of it um you know so everything that we kind of hey put that down it's not it's not productive you know my son was recruited to play video games because the NCAA now has uh e- e-sports e- yeah. and so you know my son was recruited I, you know I thought it was I thought I was being pranked when the when the coach called me about uh signing my son up for esports, and I was like you mean he can get a scholar- scholarship for this <laughs> and he was like yeah we, we have scholarships and we're, we're an NCAA you know uh I guess developmental sport currently but you know they get they get the conference trophy just like we get if they win their conference championship and so you know they everything that they do now is in the digital world you know I walk in and you know they have headsets on, talking to each other, whereas we would maybe meet up. You you could tell where everybody was in the neighborhood back in the day because that's where everybody's bicycle would be. Or, right. You know, you kind of called the house phone and you, you spoke to someone's parents, and so you learned how to kind of talk to people. Um, I think that's probably the biggest miss with, um, as Jessica said a little bit earlier, um, sometimes when they're communicating up, communicating with an adult, communicating with a mentor. Uh, it becomes a little rough because they, they're not used to communicating with people. You know, when we called to our best friend's house, we had to speak to mom or dad first. And
2: yeah, Hello, right.
3: Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Right. And how are you doing? And and you had to do that. Now they just shoot a text over to their buddy in fourth grade. And, you know, they never have that, that interaction with the with the adults.
0: I think that fourth grade thing is important. You know, some of this is just generational. You know, uh, we're different. Whoever we are, we're different from our parents. We're different from our grandparents. Always been that way. Probably always will be. I got my first phone with my first job out of college. I was probably 22, 23. I got it because the company I worked for, you know, gave it to me and said, you need to be available. It was voice only. When did y'all get your first phones?
2: My dad forgot me at soccer practice one night, and (laughs) the coach had to drive me home, which was probably a big rule breaker, um, but I was literally stranded. And so I got my first cell phone. It must have been, it had to have been my freshman year of high school. So in the 99, 2000. See, see, you said, you made that comment about
1: being, you know, Uh the youngest person. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was in graduate school. Yeah, so... Marcus, when did you get yours? Wow, so I
3: think it was like 1998. I was a few years removed from college, and I went to Radio Shack. My cousin worked at Radio Shack, and they had a sale on cell phones. It was a penny, but you only got like uh, I think thirty minutes minutes or something. It was before night even nights and weekends and you only got 30 minutes in your area if you called outside your area it was like a dollar 99. i remember i got the first bill and the first bill was about 300 dollars, and it was like all right we, we got to get rid of this thing it's this this is never going to make it it's too much it's too expensive So yeah, that was, it was like nine. I think I was about about 22, 20, 23, somewhere around there.
0: Free
1: nights and weekends. That's right.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: right. uh, But kids are now getting them in elementary school and it just becomes, you know, sort of attached to them. Uh, What have you done to try to meet college students at their own, on their own terms? How have you adopted technology or how have you understood how to change your communication style in order... To fit with them
3: well for me as a 47 year old man right um shooting text messages as opposed to picking up the phone and calling recruits or calling my players uh, you know everything is done via text having a social media presence um and being able to knowing that that's the main way that even text is kind of outdated now, you know, I'm DMing recruits now as opposed to uh, even texting anymore. So texting is, pro- is probably so uh, 2010s or something like that is what what I've been told. So, you know, having to have a social media presence and, and but actually being able to get a view into people into recruits um, lifestyles and what they do and what they think about and what they value, uh, you know, I can I can research a kid probably in 30 minutes now by just scouring through kind of like his social media. It's very rare that you come across a kid that – a uh, student-athlete that doesn't have social media. So um, we we had one recently, and I was a little nervous. I was like, why doesn't he have anything? You know, <laughs> I, I forgot how to recruit right. for that, you know, um, because it became a little easier for us to be able to research a uh, student-athlete.
0: You end up getting in, helping to resolve conflicts um, pretty regularly. How how do you adapt to the mindset? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's interesting. So I remember um, earlier in my career, you would talk a lot about like, don't leave nasty post-it notes for each other. I mean, we're so far past that. So we ask very intentional questions when we're pairing up roommates in order to learn more about them. One of the things we asked this year is that, how do you manage conflict because our students actually don't manage conflict super well. And so in order to help (coughs) create some understanding behind it, we asked them and gave them several options, right? Like, I'm just going to text you right away, or I'm going to stew on it and then not say anything until I get really mad, right? Um, To also help make sure that we're making successful roommates. So if you've got someone who's going to blow up fast and someone who's not going to say anything, it's probably not going to be a good thing. But we have conversations about the, that when the students move in. So we're filling out a contract and we're talking about how are you going to resolve your conflict? And so we want them to be actively thinking about it and talking about it. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that they're actually going to follow through with the plan, um, but then we're going in and having conversations. But more often than not, when we the conflict reaches the height. it's because friends were dming them on social media. I mean all of these things are happening, and they're happening in a more digital way. I got these taxi test messages or I'm having a burner number call me mm-hmm. because there's there's software that you can use that doesn't connect to anything, and so um you're trying to be as patient as you can with the student as they're giving you everything. I had some girls this past year who were extremely resourceful and um were using all sorts of different technologies to, in order to find out what was going on so that they could give me the cold, hard evidence that, you know, someone was like taking things from their room. So they solved the problem before they even came to me, which was a dream. They came in and this was a a pretty large problem, but they're like, here are all the things. I mean, they'd already played detective. And so then it was like, okay, well, this is really easy for me to do because you've done all the work. Um, and it was so appreciative because I also was ma- able to make things happen for them very fast because I had that and it it took out a lot of time of our own investigation to do. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing and scary (laughs) at the same time, but you have to kind of force them to have an actual conversation about it, which can be really uncomfortable for them, but it's healthy. Um, I joke at the orientation sessions that my husband tells me I'm a bad roommate all the time. (laughs) Um, I leave my shoes everywhere, which is why he tells me that. Even though I know it, I am like not fixing the problem. So I know I'm part of the problem. I'll acknowledge that. And I've been successfully marriage- married for 11 years. So we're, we're still going strong. But... I say that in order to help them to understand that like it's not going to be perfect, but I always follow up with, we have to talk about it and we have to work through it because him being mad about it and me being like, ah, whatever, which is unfortunately kind of my attitude about it, is not successful. And so he has to tell me when he's mad so that I can fix it so that we can have a successful marriage or roommate um, situation.
1: Yeah. But I think for me too, and kind of jumping off of what Jessica said, I think sort of that conversation about, I think giving giving students maybe more benefit of the doubt when they're asking questions. I think sometimes, especially in higher education and, and, and when I'm dealing with like a policy issue or a question, I mean, I've had students that will come in and they'll ask, you know, five rapid fire questions about why doesn't this, you know, what's this policy? Why doesn't it make sense? Why do we have to do this? This doesn't, you know... And I think in a previous generation, maybe maybe that would have been a lot more of an antagonistic <laughs> kind of interaction. Where now, I I think genuinely, I, I think for the most part, students really are asking questions. They actually do want to know, you know, why why is this policy this way? Why what does here's this doesn't make sense to me? Explain this to me. And it's a, it's a lot more genuine. And so I think in addition to kind of what um coach was saying about you know having a a social media presence uh and and doing some of those things to try to interact with students and in more kind of on their terms i think also giving them the benefit of of the doubt a little bit more when it comes to some of the stuff that they that they come up with and the questions they have because actually some of those those have been some of the best interactions i've had with students when i've gotten past that sort of you know, why are they giving me such a hard time moment, right? And 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 actually thought, actually, you know, they 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 made some really good points here. And Jessica knows that. I've I've had some interactions with students uh that have been really good for me as a professional and have kind of challenged my own assumptions and I've gone back to Jessica's office and said why do, why are we kind of doing this? Yeah. this like, you know, like maybe, maybe we should look at this. Like this, this thing maybe doesn't make as much sense as we thought. I know why I know why we did it. I know why we wrote it that way, but maybe this doesn't make as much sense. And I think that's a credit to this generation.
0: It's never been easy to be 18 to 25. Um, Cause there's so much going on at the same time, whether you're in college or not. Uh, but one variable that has created even maybe more anxiety and conflict than for previous generations is this, two and a half year odyssey of the pandemic. What have you seen in the way that current college students, how how have they responded to it? In what ways have they triumphed over it? In what ways has it seemed to get in their way?
3: Well, I think inherently with this generation, they spend more time talking to each other through social media, talking to each other through computers, through video games. The pandemic forced them to do that even more and so, uh, what I'm noticing is social skills are lacking. Some um, bluntness is 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 a big thing. There's there's no more. Uh, there's no well, not no more, but there's not a lot of massaging when I'm trying to get mm. my point across. And so they they're very. And I, I think a, a little bit of that is all of us too now because we've all been you know zoomed out and you know but I, I think that's the the biggest thing that i've seen from that generation is they have a little bit of a it's not a bad thing um but i think they're going to say they're going to tell you what they think right away you you're not going to wonder <laughs> it's not a whole lot of not a whole lot of massaging it or trying to make it sugarcoat it i guess is the word i'm looking for they they're not doing that too often
0: and covid has made that more pronounced do you think
3: i think so just because there's there's less social interaction you don't see the person's reaction that you're making those comments to or or what have you. And so they're going to be, you know, very blunt when it comes to certain things, not everything, but certain things they're they're extremely blunt about.
1: I think anxiety, too. I mean, just a lot of anxiety and I would say generalized anxiety. And I think the pandemic really has pushed that so that, um, you know, and, and if you think about the generation, you know, in, in general things that they've gone through. I mean, you, you mentioned the, uh, 2008, the recession. Um, this is a generation that's been doing, uh, like active shooter drills in school mm. since, you know, since they were little. Uh, so I think that they're with, with some, and now, and now a pandemic on top of that. So I think that there is this sort of generalized anxiety, uh, just about life and just kind of weariness about, about, um, uh, things that are going on in the world, and so some of that has manifested itself in action, which is really good um but then I think sometimes uh the challenge as a as a higher education administrator is to is to normalize some of that that stress and that anxiety a little bit because then that bleeds over into their work in the classroom and having, you know, a lot of anxiety about that and getting work done and you know it, and it becomes a little bit paralyzing at some point. So I think that's part of our challenge um in higher education is to is to help um kind of get through those moments or through those periods or when there's a particularly difficult thing going on in someone's personal life, you know, to try to be that person that uh that kind of helps them through that and and isn't isn't uh adding on to that. Even as as coach said, when they may be being very blunt and it's hard, you know, they're they're kind of making assertions and this is how this needs to be and this is what I need and this is what I have to have to have. And and sometimes you can't do those things. You can't can provide those. So you have to kind of work through that and work through your own <laughs> reactions at the same time.
2: I think they've been extremely conscious of their future um, through this. I think you hear them a lot talking about in. um what they're going to do long term and what impact they want to make, um, which is probably on the positive end of how it's created. I think we'll probably see more students going into healthcare because they see a need there um, because of the pandemic and how that happened um, and just talking about how and what they can do to help make a difference. And so I think that creates added stress. um, But I think that they're thinking about those types of things a little bit more than they were And in the moment, Um, I think previously, I think a lot of students were like, "Okay, I'm here, and then I'll figure it out." Right? They're coming in and they're thinking about the financial decisions that they're making right now and how this affects them long term. And you, over the last, you know, I think five or six years, you've heard lots of conversations with students on like, "I don't want to take out loans," Um, but I think that's coming up even more now um, because they're thinking of maybe the impact that. finances made on their family during the pandemic and not wanting to be in a similar situation and wanting to make conscious decisions about those things in order to still reach their goals, but to do it in probably the smartest and the savviest way possible.
0: So we've been thinking about, you know, the future of this generation and the sense that society is in really good hands moving forward. I'm optimistic enough to say that I think we are in good hands, that these kids are problem solvers and they're activists and they're forward thinkers and that society's in, in good shape. Tell me if you think I'm right or if I'm wrong.
3: I think this group is, is amazing. Uh, personally, uh, we've, we've progressed in social justice in the last two years because they really pushed and moved the needle. Uh, Interacting with students, whether it be uh, from the Black Student Union or from um, other uh, students of color on campus, just some amazing interactions as far as the growth that we've made in the last two and a half years since George Floyd um, and them not letting that die out. Um, I would say it's probably the most progress that we've made in the United States since the sixties. And so that was one thing. And then if you ever have a conversation with some of them, I'm like, man, you're, you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be this, you're going to be that. Because again, they have lofty goals. They challenge everything and they don't think that the norm is right. And so they're all trying to, you know, they always have a way to fix things or get around things and and uh like i think you know the cure the cure for cancers is in that the cure for you know hiv is in that like it, the the way that they progressed they didn't really have a huge problem with wearing the mask it was more our generation that had the problems with wearing the mask they were like just kind of put the mask on but again and I feel like every generation gets criticized. I mean, we talked about the millenniums from and then, you know, they talked about Generation X and and so you must be doing something right if they're talking about you. That's what my mom always told me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's true. Are
0: you on the optimistic train with Marcus and I, and Jessica?
2: Absolutely. I think that um I think that during the pandemic, I think we were all probably overexposed to the media um, because we, there wasn't a lot else going on either. So, um, and I think social media plays into that too, because you're just taking it in more and more. Um, And so we're actually probably, I actually think we're probably taking in too much, Um, but it's, it's having, I, you know, both positive and negative effects. I think the positive effect is, is that I think for for most of us growing up, in order to get the news, you got it from the newspaper or from watching the news on TV at night. And as a 13 year old, you're not sitting there watching the news with your parents, you're trying to find something else to do. So you're not as conscious about what's going on in the world. Um, And I think this generation is, they're very conscious of these things that are going on, the injustices that are happening, the environment, all of those different things. And so they're also at the age where they're thinking really hard about this and they're engaging with their friend groups about it also. So they're not just engaging with their parents, they're engaging with people that are in their same age group and they're trying to think of solutions. And so they're wanting to be more accepting and more caring for, for people and things because they see how that is not happening in other places. And so I can't think of reasons why that won't make a positive impact on a lot of these different areas. I mean, I think, um, coach talked about a lot of great things, but also like the impact on the environment. I think that comes up a lot nowadays about, um, you know, I just remember during the pandemic them talking about like, Oh, all these emission levels are down because people aren't out driving and stuff like that. And look at all these like animals we can see now. And so now that we're, you know, getting back to life and normal, I think people are starting to get back on this train on, you know, we don't want for The world to end you know like we have a job to create this earth to be able to like fuel us and how can we do that to keep ourselves safe and i think this generation's talking about those things and they will be the people that help to create what that tomorrow looks like for us
1: and i I think I'm optimistic too. The only thing that I would say and like my kind of hope and prayers for Gen Z would be that, that this kind of really, like I said at the beginning, healthy skepticism doesn't turn into cynicism because I think that's, that's where, you know, would be the only thing I would just, you know, hope for them. Cause I think that as we've talked about that sort of, you know, critical thinking and and not accepting the status quo, uh, is, 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 a, is, is probably one of their best and most defining characteristics. And so I just hope that over time, you know, with, you know, the way that uh, the world works, that that doesn't turn into something that becomes, uh, you know, overly negative or or something, you know, um, uh, that uh, that becomes a deterrent kind of as, as they move forward as a generation and other things happen and life occurrences uh, and all that. So that would be my only, that'd be the only thing that I would, like I said, hope and pray for them.
0: Prediction time. Um, based on what you know about this generation, what's one pretty significant problem that you think 10 years from now we'll sit back and say, wow, this generation really helped lead the way for us?
3: I, I think it's social justice. Yeah, I do. Um, not just from person of color standpoint, but from the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community, from being accepted. Um, this generation, I think, is more acceptance accepting of other people that aren't like them um, more than any other generation I've seen. You know, there's so many different campaigns that they've started. That's why I'm very, very optimistic with this with this generation, just because you just don't see it as much as you, you know, you don't see the difference uh, or or separatism as much as you did 10 years ago, even. So that's what I'd say. I think social justice is probably, the, in my opinion, the 10 years would be Advanced. I don't think it'll be perfect, but the the strive for equality um, is is really being pushed now. I hope it
1: helps with the the political divisions. I think in in the country because I do think that sort of um, sense of rejecting this once again rejecting the status quo. I hope I hope that that leads to sort of. Um, you know, a healing of some of the political divisions and, and, you know, how polarizing politics has become. And I think 10 years from now, as more of this generation uh, is voting um, and is active, I think that that will, I think there'll be more, my hope would be that with their collectivism, there'll be a little bit more common ground that people will be looking for and trying to find as opposed to maybe where we might see ourselves now.
2: I think they're also going to help to create just more representation at the table Um, that there are the parties that need to be there that are coming from lots of different backgrounds um, in order to make sure that there is a true equal voice and that not everyone at the table looks and thinks the same.
0: I think I'll hazard a guess that our cities will look differently. I think with more of us using technology to work from home and to work in different ways, I think the city will cease to become a place where you go to work and will become even more of a place where you go to do whatever it is that you want to do in the presence of other people. All right, so let's wrap up. We'll go into the lightning round. ask the same questions that we ask of all of our guests. First one best piece of advice you ever
1: received. Be yourself. Don't be afraid to change and evolve and and take new information in, but just you know be okay being being yourself and be comfortable with that.
2: I am a doer at heart, and so I have had someone tell me years and years ago there are just some things that aren't going to get done.
3: <laughs> I have two. It was one from my mom and one from my dad. My mom's a thirty-plus year. I can't say how many years <laughs> as yeah. she was, because I get smacked in the back of the head. But she might. Li- she, she will might be, be, be listening. Trouble. to <laughs> oh, yes, yes, Doctor Kirkland will be listening. Uh, she said, "They don't care what you know until they know that you care." Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so that she always, she would always tell me that, um, especially when I first got into coaching. And then my dad. I remember I was I was frustrated. I was going through. I don't even remember exactly what it was. He flipped me a quarter, and he said, "Read what it says on the back of that." And I read on the back and it said, God, we trust. And he said, everybody else, you got to wait on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's so those those two. And then, you know, probably the best piece of advice in 23 years of marriage is she's always right. <laughs> <So>.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. What's the most interesting place you've ever traveled to?
2: Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> and, I know, and I know that's probably such a silly answer, but I, and I lived there for five years. Moving to Alabama, it was not what I expected. It is like its own little mecca. Um, some of the smartest people I've met in my entire life, people are there working for NASA and Lockheed. I mean, we are, um, we are such good friends with one of the guys who um, created the filtration system that will filtrate um, urine to water on a spaceship like in and it works for nasa and it's amazing and the coolest guy ever we go out on the boat with him all the time and we watch the bats come out of the caves and so just most amazing place that is just this like hidden gem and the most random location ever um yeah super awesome place
1: I would say for me, so uh, both my wife and I have family in Ireland. And so, um, you know, when we have traveled there, the the exciting part of it is that you don't just get to do the touristy kind of things, but, you know, you get to go to, um, I get to go to the place where my grandfather met my grandmother, right? And and so you get to do some of those things and and talk to family members that, you know, know some of the same family members that you grew up with and, you know, that they remember them. Uh, you know differently from when they were younger and so that's that's always a, a treat and a good experience and we always like
3: doing that let's say uh val so not the one in georgia the one in italy it's uh it's right on the border of italy and switzerland and uh just one of the most amazing places i've ever been when we sat in the terme, which is a spa in between three mountains um, that view was amazing, but then just to watch the waters melt off the glaciers and how clear and pure the water was, um, it was just kind of made you take a step back and take a deep breath. And I think the other thing is, is in the United States, our old buildings are a couple hundred years old. Their old buildings are thousands of years old. So you stand and look at a building that's been erected for, it says like five Ad on a on a plate or something like that. And that, you know, that's always makes you take a, take a deep breath when you, when you look at things like
1: that. And finally,
0: what's your favorite thing to eat in the
1: whole world? I eat everything. So that's like, that's a, that's a tough one. And I like to cook too. So I like to experiment. Um, I would say, you know, I would going back to what I said about my, um, about, uh, my background and the family that I have in Ireland, maybe I would say my mom's, uh, soda bread. That is like a nostalgic thing that, uh, as I said, I like to cook, but I cannot, and she's given me the recipe, try to make it. I cannot do it. Like, it's just not the same, right? And so then I, when I go home and and she makes it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is how this is supposed to be. I'm just not quite there. So that's mm-hmm. what I'd go with. She's got mom powers. Yeah, she does.
2: I love ice cream. Doesn't matter the kind, doesn't matter where it's from love ice cream and now that i have a three-year-old it's a nice excuse to probably have it way more than i should because <laughs> he's always like ice cream and i'm like oh okay i won't tell you no.
3: this is the hardest question that you asked today and it really is right because i you know jeff you know i'm a foodie so i would have to say tonato it's a it's a dish made in italy it's um it's it's just amazing to me i don't get it often because i can't make it i've tried i've tried to replicate it and i can't do it um
1: it's miserable isn't it yeah so (laughs) so the only time i get
3: it is when i'm there i haven't found a restaurant here that does it um so you know maybe once a year once every other year i get to i get to have that dish
0: what a great discussion today on generation z thanks to mick reynolds and jessica head and marcus kirkland Join us again next time where we talk about another interesting topic right here on Wilson in Maine.
2: This work is copyrighted by Wingate University in 2022, and Wingate University reserves all rights.